And welcome to our Tuesday evening Bible class. Uh, glad you're with us. And before we start, before we start this evening, well, let's start in prayer. So sorry, I won't. Before we do anything else, let's take the next few moments in silent prayer, giving everyone the opportunity of setting everything else aside and focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, on whose word we're about to study. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, ensure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Filling up the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit's unhindered ministry, and that He's able to do all that He was placed in our hearts to do. If you have any unconfessed sins, now is the time to name them quietly and privately to God the Father, who is faithful and just, forgive us those sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to worship God in His Word. We must, And that's a right thing to do, but it must be done in a right way under that filling ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So let's take next few moments and then I'll open us up in corporate prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity once again to meet together. What a wonderful privilege it is to to have an open door to pray to thee, to open up our hearts to thee and uh, in our in our sessions and our, our petitions a privilege it is to for the spirit to guide us in teaching and understanding open our hearts to greater understanding and draw us, clear, draw, draw us closer to thee we pray these things in Christ's name Amen my friend Larry my, friend, my brother from a different mother as he says up in New York uh, some of you may remember Larry, um, the nephew of Rachel there in, in Woodruff, Big Larry, and um, nephew by marriage, or yeah, by marriage. And he sent down this. He's uh, and he he gives out a daily a daily prayer list, and uh, that I am recipient of. He says, "Never had it summed up like this before." Why go to church? I think this is fantastic. I just love the guy's answer and the interpretation for the word Bible. Enjoy and pass it on. A church goer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. He wrote, I've gone for 30 years now And in that time, I have heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. The preachers and the priests are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. Much to the delight of the editor, it went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But, I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do what, to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, 
I would be spiritually dead today. When you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Thank God for our physical and our spiritual nourishment. If you cannot see God in all, you cannot see God at all. And Bible, which he puts down as simply means basic instruction before leaving earth. So that is uh, that was from Larry. I, I kind of enjoyed that immensely. So we are coming back into Hebrews. We're finishing up. Lord willing, Spirit God, to see how we do. Uh, Hebrews this evening. And we're going to pick up from verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning the priest. Now, remember what we're, what the writer is doing here is is giving the that that Jesus is better than the priest. He's better than the Levitical the Levitical the Levitical priest, and he's better even to Melchizedek. But he is in the 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 image of Melchizedek in the sense that Melchizedek was what. A priest and a king. And uh, so he was in a, a greater position than Abraham. And remember, Abraham uh, is, we might call him, Abraham is the man. He is the one that, he is the greatest figure in the Jewish mindset. Not only in the Jewish mindset, but the Islamic mindset and the Christian mindset. He is, he's a great figure. But yet, but yet, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, Melchizedek was greater for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we know this because it was Abraham who gave ties to, uh, ties to Melchizedek. It was Melchizedek who blessed Abraham. So, the writer here is clearing away that our mindset is this Jesus, he's telling his readers, how great Jesus is. The one who represents us. You see, knowing the Word of God, and I don't know, I don't know, you know about the, the, the Bible being the basic instruction before leaving earth. But I know this. We learn about our Savior through the Word of God. It is, it is the written Word of God and that we inculcate within our hearts that we come to know who our Lord Jesus Christ is. The more that we do it, and this is following what Peter says. Peter says to grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then uh, everything that we learn, it doesn't go... Our time that we spend in God's Word learning about our Savior. And then... It's developing our love for Him, our personal love. And as we spoke of this morning during worship call, our appreciation, our love for Christ, our love for the Father, will be reflected in our relationship with man. As we draw closer to God, and that's the same thing with your marriage. If someone should ask you, why is your what is the secret? of the closeness within your marriage. 
And Grady, I, I pray this for you. I pray this for Jolene. We're already praying for your... Wherever your, your spouses are, they're already getting... Uh, that they're growing up in a, a believing family, a Christian family. And that your, that your wife, Grady, and Jolene's husband, oh, we're already praying for them. That right now, that they are being groomed and learning to love the Lord with all their hearts, with all their minds, with all their hearts. And the more that we grow in the Lord and appreciation. So this and what we're learning here is the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the problems is that we don't look at the Lord Jesus Christ as, as great as He is. Okay, He's our Savior. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And by believing in Him, I have eternal life. And that's fantastic. But who is this Jesus? And the more that we learn of Him, the more that we develop that love for Him. So it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, remember the point about types, and Melchizedek is a type of Christ, that no type, or no anti-type, no, I'm going to turn around, no type is greater than what it points to. No type is greater than it points to. Melchizedek being as superior as he was to Abraham is not superior to Christ. And uh, I meant to say this, I really screwed it up and I, I really screwed this up Sunday, but it hit me Sunday. Christ is always better. Christ is always the better view. And in Christ, it's always looking upward to something better. When it's with Christ, it's always, you ain't seen nothing yet. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has done for those who love Him. And we were talking about the, uh, and with, with the wedding, with the wedding feast that Jesus attended with His disciples. When Jesus turned the water into wine, and the bridegroom was commended, or uh, he was commended for serving the the cheap wine first, and then the better wine later, later on, because usually in a in a uh, wedding ceremony, and what would go on is the good wine would be served first and then when the when the guests would get a little bit drunk or they get a little tipsy or they they as t- time would go on then the, then they bring out the cheap stuff and the watered down but the um, I'm, I'm forgetting who the one who orchestrated the um, I wish I looked it up. But the one who was uh, the wedding planner, I guess you'd call him. But he was commended. You you didn't serve the cheap wine last. You brought the best stuff in last. Well, this is Jesus. All the best stuff comes last later on. And this is the same concept of the first 
will be last and the last will be first. So when we're dealing with Jesus, it's always the better. We're always looking onward and upward. Verse 15, and this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, not on the base of law of physical requirements, or or with, not physical, but, um, yeah, physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. And that indestructible life is the fact that Jesus Christ, our high priest, who went to the cross, and listen, he gave everything. Here's the priest. Think about this. He is our high priest. But he went to the cross not having anything else to sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he died naked on the cross. And he had nothing, nothing at all to, to sacrifice except for one thing. That was his own life. He died he was buried. He rose again. He he defeated death, and we do not we do not worship a dead martyr, but a very living Savior. And we are not represented by the dead, but we're represented by the one who is alive, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seventeen: For it is attested of him, you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18, For on the hand, on one hand, there is the setting aside the former commandment because of its weakness and its uselessness. Remember, who, who created the law? Help me out. Who, created, who established the law? God. God did. The Lord did. The Lord established, Yahweh established all the criteria of the law. But it says here, that it's weak, it's weak and it's useless. That it has weakness and uselessness. Does that sound like something God would establish? No, remember, He doesn't bring out the best first. Just like the wine. The, the cheaper wine came out first and then the best wine came. And so He doesn't bring out, it's always, it's always, you ain't seen nothing yet. Something better is at hand. Because here it goes. And the law made nothing perfect. What does that mean? Help, help me out. What, it made nothing perfect, Michael. What does it mean? It didn't make anything perfect. There was no one that was perfected that could live in eternity in the presence of God. Very good. Exactly. That's exactly what it means. That perfect means teleos. Didn't make you complete. Uh, and that is body, soul, and a spirit that was connected to God. And the law did not do that. The law for its time, listen, the law for its time had useless, it, it was useful. Not to make one perfect, but at the very least to, to make us hunger for something more. So it served a purpose. It served a purpose, like exactly. That's right. It wasn't useless uh, in that regard. But it was useless to make one perfect. But it did define sin for us. It did bring us to a point. You see, 
the most dangerous thing for any of us is to think that we're good to go. To think that our morality is that is enough to get us into heaven. That we are good enough. That we are good people. That we are nice people. And to think that that's good enough to get us into heaven. Morality in itself is a stumbling block. But the law identified sin. The law identified us as sinners. And that recognizing year by year, as we will see in, in Hebrews chapter 10, that it wasn't enough to save us. If someone comes to you and tells you and tries to say that we ought to be following the law, that we need to be under uh, and going back to the ways of the, the Jewish ways, and there are people out there doing this, and they mean well, they want to be biblical about this, the Scripture says to do this, but Hebrews, when you look at Hebrews, Hebrews puts that says no. When you do that, you're going back to an old system, and that's what that's what the warning was to these Jewish believers. Don't go back to the old system. It did nothing to bring you into a relationship with God. Its usefulness was the fact that it identified you as sinners, and you didn't need something other than what it provided. And we thank God for what He has, what He has provided in the time that He has provided. We thank you for the lessons. We thank Him for the lessons that it provided us. But we, as believers, we are not under the law. So the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there was the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. This wasn't our hope. Um, hope, elpis, the confident expectation. The law, the law never built anything. If anything, see what? Help me out. Anybody remember the Greek word for hope? Elpis. Elpis. That's right. What? What does it mean? Uh, confident expectation. Confident expectation. It never built our anticipation for something else. The law did not do that. The law did not develop hope for us, for for them, for man, for the for the Israelites. It only identified their weakness before God. It it recognized them as as sinners. Imagine this. That we want to draw near to God. That we want to love God. That we want to draw near to Him. And you know this. And you recognize that when you sin, that you just violate the sovereignty of God. And you've got this voice in the in, in ringing in your ear. I don't know about you, but I'd have this voice ringing into my ear. And it's literally, uh, I'm not saying that there was really a voice, but my conscience is speaking. It, it may be conscience, it may be the devil himself saying, and you call yourself a Christian. You recognize that you're not good enough before God. Amen? 
that none of us are. We recognize that, like Paul says, I, there's nothing good in me. There's nothing that God should look at me and say, this is my son. This is my daughter. Yeah, wow. This, we recognize how great God is, how righteous He is, how pure He is. And we see ourselves in the mirror of God's Word if we're honestly looking at each other and we say, I'm a pig. I am unrighteous. I am wicked. I've broken the commandments. I'm defiled. I'm not perfect. How can God love me? The law did not settle that. And that's what we need to understand. The law didn't settle that. But, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And He did settle it. He gave us His very own righteousness. That when He looks down upon us, it's, He doesn't see our defilement. He sees His very own righteousness being reflected upon Him. We have been, we have been righteous, made righteous in His sight. He has brought us into a relationship with Him. This is, and then when we are abiding in Him, grafted into who our Lord Jesus Christ is, then He can look at us God can look at us as He looks at His own Son. We share in His Sonship. We have, it, we have His very own righteousness in us. All we need to do is just learn to walk in that. The law never provided that. Something greater has come, ladies and gentlemen. Something better has come in the law and never provided our ability to to stand up straight, to proclaim God and to to say, Lord, I love you. And then when we do sin, Paul and John says, I say this that uh, that you should not sin, but when you do sin, you have an advocate before Him, make an intercession, a priest who. Died upon, who sacrificed the most perfect sacrifice upon the cross. And therefore, setting us free from sin. Alright. Verse 20. Inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. Psalm 110.4 So to become a priest, they were not. there was no oath. There was nothing. That man, they were, the only requirement was that they were born into the line of the Levitical priest. But here is the order after Melchizedek. But here is the one. And there was an oath, and the oath came from God the Father. It was His Father. My, uh, it was His Father, God the Father, who looked upon Jesus and said, "You are a priest by His oath, by God, what God said, not what 
man just fell into. So the Lord was sworn, it says, once again, 21. For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said, and this is what the Lord said, his Lord, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, for you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become a, the guarantee of a better covenant. When we come into verse 8, we're going to see what that better covenant is. You mean there, chapter 8? What's that? Chapter 8? Uh, yes, chapter 8. What did I say? Verse 8. Verse 8? Okay, yeah, chapter 8. Yeah, chapter 8 is, is that better covenant, that, that covenant that he's going to make with Judah and with Israel. And um, and that's coming, and it's going to supersede the Mosaic covenant. See, once again, Mosaic covenant weak and um, useless at this point. It's useless at this point. In its time, again, in its time, it had purpose, but now in this time, it's useless. Now we're looking for a better covenant and a promise of a better covenant that's coming. Verse 23. The former priest on the hand, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Okay? Jesus is resurrection. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And uh, so, he did not die. He died and rose again. He's still very much living. Verse 25. Therefore, he's able also to save... Let's see. What do we got there? Complete. I, I'll put down completely. I mean, uh, what what's your translation say there? I'd say completely. Forever. Forever. Okay. Yeah, that's what I wrote there. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. Save, and that word is teleos, is completely. He's able to save you completely. What do you think he means by completely? To save you completely. Discard the old and new. What's that? Discard everything and start new. What's completely? Completely I'm, new. ESP says uh, uh, permanently. Permanently. Newborn. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Greek in there is teleos, completely. Completely. Mm-hmm. completely. Justified completely. Sanctified completely. Glorified completely. The full... The full measure of salvation. All three faces. And those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. The mandate is to draw near to God, as we mentioned on the Lord's Day. Draw near to God and also in, in Peter, where uh, in First Peter it tells us to be holy, for God is holy. And the only way that we can do that is if we have our our Lord, our High Priest, make an intercession for us. Twenty six. 
You see, and, and again, it brings into the fact that we need a representation. Verse 26. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest. Now here, here are they. For our high priest, love this. And I've got these written down here. First of all, our high priest, our high priest is once again, we need to know who it is that represents us. And there's no one better than the one who represents us. For those who, for the old way, for the law, those that represented were less than perfect. They were human beings. But now, Progressing forward in God's plan, we have the best representative. First of all, He is holy. Hagias. And Hagias is pertaining to being holy in a sense of superior moral qualities and possessing certain essential divine qualities in contrast with what is human. So it is our Lord Jesus Christ who is holy. He is set apart. Where do we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament in the Hebrew canon where we he's described as holy. Not the burning bush? No. Where he, he where Abram fell asleep and he walked mm. through the second how about, how about Isaiah? Woe is me. That that's the passage. When Isaiah, when Isaiah was in heaven and he's looking upon the um, throne, room. throne room and he sees the angels. And what were the seraphim, the six-winged angels doing? What were they saying? Holy, holy, holy. holy. And um, so it is, it is he that's holy. It's set apart. He's consecrated. He's set apart from all sin. Second Corinthians. Uh, open up second. Uh, great, it gave me Second Corinthians five twenty one. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Okay, and Amanda, how about Hebrews 4.15? Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Without sin, he has stayed set apart from it, stayed separated from it, and so it is. It is he, our high priest, who is holy. Unlike many of the priests in the past, and the priests in the past were like kings. There were either good ones and there were bad ones, and we've we've discussed the fact that there is a line of priesthood that. They were they were just right down scoundrelous. All right, then then coming back, 
Okay, for it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, and the next word is innocent. A kekos. Kekos means, uh, kekos by itself means, uh, guiltly, guiltly, um, guilty, defiled, uh, a kekos, put the a in from it, a kekos, means pertains to being without fault. And hence, guiltless, without fault, guileless, and innocent. First Peter. Okay, Michael, give me first Peter two twenty two to twenty five. First Peter two twenty two through twenty five? Yes. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our representative... Is sinless. There'll be those that will say that Jesus committed sin. I've heard it a number of times, but will claim that Jesus had some type of sin. He didn't live a perfect life, but Jesus did live a perfect life. And if he had committed one sin, he would have had to go to cross and be judged for his own sin. Uh, but being that he was perfect and he was innocent. It allowed him to stand in our place to take our judgment. That's our high priest. Okay, and then, then it goes on. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled. And undefiled means to defile with addition of negative, um, pertaining to not being ritually defiled. With implication of moral defilement, so he was he was ritually clean. He was qualified to do what he did um, without defilement. Throughout the Old Testament, you see clean and unclean, and that that is uh, and if and clean means that you were wor- you were qualified for worship. You could go into the temple. You could go into the temple. You could worship. You could go pray or what, what have you. But being ritually unclean for any number of reasons, it disqualified you for worship. Jesus was qualified to worship and to stand on our behalf. And um, I'll read Hebrews four fourteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast to our confession. Verse 27, Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, 
first for their own sins and then for the sins of his of the people because this he did once and for all when he offered up himself so Jesus had no sin he enters the, he he goes through one time he doesn't offer up sin for himself he offers up sin one time one sacrifice he only had one sacrifice to give himself perfect lamb without spot and without blemish and he gave up that that his own body for us and then verse 28 to finish out chapter 7 for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak before it was the law that was weak it was the the old covenant uh, the old um, covenant that was weak and useless 28 for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak but the word of the oath remember going back to the oath what Jesus what Jesus said or not Jesus but his father said to him that he will be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek um, he did it so Jesus receives an oath from the father that he would be the high priest which came after the law appoints a son and after very important after the law Remember what we said at the beginning? The Beth comes last. Comes after the law. The law proved itself to, to not be, to be weak. But now something better has come and that's the Lord. So after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. He is our high priest forever. And that closes out chapter 8, but it's going to get better. We've, um, as we come, come in on the Lord's Day, we're going to be looking at the New Covenant. This is what this points to. And coming out to the close of this, remember this. That's always the things that lie ahead is better than what has ever been. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back to the old stuff. Don't go back to the old. It was useless. It was weak. Don't go back to the old ways, the old priesthood, the old law. Something better has come. How many of us, when we have the best, miss the old stuff and say, oh, I want to go back to the good old days. I want to go back to this. And I want I want to bring this up too. We look back to... You've heard, you've heard that, you know, back in the good old days. When we kind of glorify the past. Oh, our, our better days are behind us. I see in my, in my military career, I, I've known, and, and there are still those that look back that those were the best days. When they were a young Marine, they were, they were chomping it to pieces. Maybe back in your school days. Maybe, you know, now, now you're an old married woman. <laughs> oh man, I had so much fun back then. Well, you don't have much of a life back there. <laughs> I'm just saying, you've got a short lifespan, but when you get older, you look, you know, maybe it was career, maybe it's when I, while you're playing football. I hope that's not, I hope even now, I hope these are not, your best days. 
I said again, I hope these are not your best days. <coughs> to be looking for that which is better. Don't be so satisfied with today to, without looking forward to better days ahead. And I'm not just talking about this life, but the life to come in Christ. I hope that your days are better today than what they were growing up. And maybe, listen, and maybe you could say, well, I'm sick now. I wasn't sick then. I have these affirmities now. Or I'm going through so much struggle now. And I didn't have them back in, in the day. Those are the good old days. But if you're walking in the Lord and your relationship is closer to the Lord today than it was back then, regardless of what's going on in your secular life now and your love for the Lord, anybody want to exchange your love for the Lord and what the Lord's doing in your life now for the good old days? Not me. I'm living I'm living a better life now. But not the best yet. But not the best yet. Not the best yet. I keep looking for the best. It's ahead. It's not behind me. My Marine Corps days are not the best behind me. Back when back when we were young parents and had my kids and had had all the kid had all the all two of the kids at home. That were not the best days. They were good days. These are better days than those. For no other reason but our relationship with the Lord has grown. And we're still looking for the best days to come. When we're going to be absent from the body and face to face with the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that our best days are still ahead. While we may be going through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because that is with us. And while weeping may endure for the night, a shout of joy does come in the morning. We know our best days are ahead. Regardless of what we're going through this day, we thank you for where we are in our spiritual life as we've grown. Because the only way we can grow is that you you draw drawn us near to thee. We ask Heavenly Father that you continue to be with our spiritual life, drawing us ever closer to thee. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see down the corridors of time. To know when we're absent from this body, certainly the most great and glorious days will be when we're absent from the body, when we receive our new body in glorification to live eternally with Thee. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright. And then let's, as we close out, we've got 15 minutes. And let's go over our questions here. And I went so far off the notes, I hope that we're able to cover them. <laughs> Alright. First, uh, 
take the first one. The mandate. Uh, Beck, I'm going to give this one to you. The mandate that we find in Peter is that we are to be holy for God is holy. For God is holy. As God is holy. How can we do that when we are sinners? We have an advocate in heaven. Exactly. Can you explain? We have an advocate in heaven. Can you elaborate that on that a little yes. bit? Yes. This um, says in Scripture, um, according to Melchizedek, that he is a king and a priest. And he is uh, our He's our advocate. He's the one who stands. An advocate is one who represents represents us. us, That's right. He represents us. Um, What happens when we sin? Because when we sin, we're no longer representing God. We're no longer holy. Remember we said that when we sin, we're outside. We repent and then um, confess to Him so that we... And then He... He is. Uh, he forgives us. Okay, exactly. So that we are. We name our sins. Okay, Grady. How can how can the Lord forgive us of our sin when He when it defiles His holy character? Anybody? What's the question? How can how can the Lord forgive us? Without violating his perfect justice. When we sin, how can God just simply to confess the come? My bad, Lord, I've sinned through my hatred, my, you know. His atonement? Atonement? I guess, it's, I guess it's a good question. Yeah, that was a question mark. We're already because forgiven. he's doing it through his righteousness. He, it's not by. It's not. He is the covering of his. His. Um, let's make it real simple now. I don't understand what you know. Let's let's make it re- real simple. We're already forgiven, so like we don't need to ask for forgiveness. We need to confess. Confess. Yeah. Confess. How, how are we forgiven? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Um, this is important to understand too. Because we are forgiven that our we are forgiven of our sins positionally that we are brought into the family of God. We are, we have been forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future, but we are still accountable for the sins of time, and this may be a little bit confusing. Um, but the sins that the sins that we commit post salvation sins puts us outside of a relationship. With the Lord, it puts us out. It's like Ben will always be your dad. Man, let's go. Let's go back. What 10, 15, 20 years? He's your dad. Nothing you can do to make him not your dad. But there's things you can do to cause a rift within that relationship. And um, so, the first thing for. Like to your father, first thing in remedy, as long as you're holding on, and I could tell stories with about Manda here, you know, and and um, and some some of the things we 
we dealt with. But as long as you're holding on to a, as long as you're holding on to your innocence, even though that you're guilty, there is the rift there. But as soon as you say, Dad, I was wrong. Dad, I, um, I want to make it right. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have took the car. I shouldn't have disobeyed you. And I was wrong. It's at that point that things can start getting cleared up. But until that comes, until you tell, until you come to the Father, and, and a, a bad father may never forgive his son. A, a, a less of a godly father may hold that grudge forever, but our God in heaven is perfect. He's faithful to forgive us of those sins. And on the basis, listen, on the basis of what his son did on the cross on our behalf, those sins were already judged on the cross. And yes, man, we name them. We come in, we confess them to bring us back into into a harmonious rapport with the Lord. Uh, Grady, you understand what we're saying there? Okay, any questions on that? Alright, number two, I'm going to throw this back at Michael. James tells us to draw near to God. And what will be the result? God will draw near to us. God will draw near to us. Anything you want to elaborate on that? Add to that. Uh, no. I mean, other than you know, your principles that you've talked on numerous times about, no neutral. Obviously, if you grow near to God, you're 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 pursuing Him, and He'll grow near to you. But if you're not, you just don't maintain the same relationship, but you regress. Let me ask you: when you when you draw near to God. Does that require something on your behalf to do? Draw near to God? Yeah. Yes. There are certain responsibilities, certain priorities that we set within our lives. Um, I've mentioned also numerous times the um, Louis Schaefer talking about the checker game. Eventually somebody says, it's your move. God made a move. He says, it's your move. We have free will. We have a determination of choice. We make choices every day. And I, I like what you alluded to. How how do we, and, and you didn't say it this way, but it, it sparked, it sparked um, something in me. How do we conquer sin? How do we overcome the weaknesses? Every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of those things that Brings us short of the glory of God. How do we overcome those things? By determining not to do this? By determining to, you know, there I go again. I, I keep doing what I don't want to do. I got drunk again last night. I, you know, I made a scowl at my wife. I, um, I've lost my temper. You know, I loved that. Things I shouldn't have looked at. Oh, that's a weakness. That's a weakness. Yes, it's a weakness. 
But how you, you know, but it's, uh, but let's not confuse it with downright sin because that is sin. How do I overcome it? By drawing near to God. By making my life a life of drawing near to God. Drawing near to God solves everything. Your marriage. It's like I, I like, it's like I told my friend Joey when he's asked me for marriage tips because he's getting ready to get married. Because I'm, you know, I'm getting married this weekend. What, you got any advice for me? Oh, yes. And I go, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And he kind of chuckled. I said, I'm not kidding. Fix your, fix your relationship with the Lord, your God, and everything else will fall into place. I promise. There's an example right here. Can I, can I give that testimony? Our marriage is strengthened not, not because we're reading books on marriage every night and going through these steps on how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. We are growing closer together because our love for the Lord is growing. Same with you, Grady. Same with you and your wife and Jolene and her husband. The secret for a successful marriage is drawing near to God. You keep mentioning strength, your own strength, your own determination. What's the scripture I've seen on so many gym shirts? It's Philippians. Um, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. So it's, it's God's strength. Mm-hmm. It's yes, because I'm going to recognize this another reason why the law has its usefulness in its time to recognize that no, that my physical strength, my determination is only going to carry me so far. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, uh, and the Lord has a way of breaking our leg that we come to recognize. He did it with Job. He did it with Job. And He can do it with us as well. So our strength, um, but there there is a, and it's like anything else, it's like guilt is not a part, is not a mechanic of the spiritual life. But it might bring me to the point where I'm going to name my sins um, and so forth. But anyway, um, let's do this. Uh, three, uh, I'll give this to Amanda. What does it mean that Melchizedek did not have a father or mother? Uh, there was no record of him being, having a father or mother. There was no record of him having a father and mother. Um, what What does not having a father and mother have to do with anything? You know, the author sitting it up, sitting the type up. Exactly. It's just an illustration. Mel, what, did Mel, Melchizedek have a mother and father? Mm-hmm. Who didn't have a mother and father? We, we say that though. What's that? We say that as an in, inference. Yeah. That he did. Mm-hmm. Did not have a mother and father. He's got to be one of different creatures. Okay? Um, An angel don't have a mother and father. 
But Melchizedek was a priest. Represent man to God. Is there any place that you find an angel representing man to God? You know, so we can rule out him being an angel. Um, not having a mother and father, we could say that he's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But for a number of different reasons. Oh, another thing is about the tithing. Where is it in the Bible that anyone tithed to an angel? Or an angel blessing the lesser. But... Um, if he was a pre-incarnate Christ, and Melchizedek was pre-incarnate Christ, then he wasn't a. Then Jesus wasn't a. In the order or a likeness of Melchizedek, he was he was Christ. Melchizedek was Christ. You know what I'm saying? But but Jesus was in the likeness of Melchizedek in the order of Melchizedek. So it couldn't be a pre-incarnate Christ. So, with those eliminations, and that's where where I go with, with those eliminations... Logical deduction. Log, logical deduction, thank you. Um, I, I always love smarter people than me. They can, yeah, yeah, add. Thank you, thank you for adding yeah, smarter, you're the one that explained it to me. <laughs> oh, really? Logical deduction? That might be a Steve. Oh, no, that came from uh, Systematic. Okay, okay, there you go. Um, but it trims down... It, it eliminates all the other possibilities, so you only got one thing left. He was a man. Okay, that's that's where I stand on that. If you got any arguments, I'll take them. But uh, anyway, um, and then we have a another question here. How does this set up the typology concerning Christ's priesthood? And then the. There was no beginning. Um, Jesus Christ is, was um, Omega. Alpha, Alpha and Omega. Alpha Omega. Um, that he always was. And always will be. Um, okay, Melchizedek didn't have a... Melchizedek, like Christ, as Christ as being God, he has no beginning, he has no end. Um, he is he blesses he receives the tithes um, and uh, the he is the kingly priest he is both king and what line what line was Judah in (laughs) (laughs) he's in line of Jesus Jesus. (laughs) and then and then uh, and then he was a priest outside of that, um, outside the, the line of Judah and, and the line, or outside the line of Levi. All right, for sake of time, we're moving on. Give two examples of how Melchizedek is imaged as being superior to Abraham. What are, what are two, at least two examples that we see that Melchizedek was better than Abraham? Abraham gave him the tenant of his tithe, and the tenth of his tithe. So that would be one. He, that would be one percent. Yeah, and the tenth. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he, he gave his spoils. Okay. And, so, and then he, the king blessed him. 
Okay, very good. You got both, uh, two of them. Uh, he blessed Abraham. The, the greater Abraham blesses the lesser, the lesser. And Abraham pays tithes to the greater. Yeah. Alright. Anything, anybody else, anything else to add on that? Okay, great. Jesus does not become a priest through the law of physical requirement, but through what? No, no. Okay, service as Aaron on that. He didn't by physical requirement, but through what? A. A. What is A, Becca? According to the power in. And life. Okay, help me out. Help me out with that, somebody. Um, what does it mean by the law of the physical, or law, but the power of the indestructible life? The eternal um, state of eternal life. Power of his resurrection. resurrection. Yeah. The power of the resurrection. Okay. Number seven, who attested to him? You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Holy Spirit, the Lord Yahweh, the mm-hmm. High Priest, or the Angel of the Lord? The Lord Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh. That's his father. That's David. I, I tried to get in, in, in there, but David said, uh, My Lord said to his, David said, My Lord said to his Lord. Okay? The um, So it was. David's Lord, his Lord, <laughs> I'm still screwing it up, but it is, it is the God the Father. It is God who says to him that you are that you will be a priest. And this is the oath. This is a oath from God. You will be this. And when God says that, and then certainly he's going to be one. And um, So unlike all the other priests, other priests, there wasn't an oath involved for them to be priests. But our Lord Jesus Christ, there was an oath. There was that which was spoken by God Himself saying, you will be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, last question. Why doesn't Jesus have to bring a sacrifice like other priests? Grady. Why doesn't Jesus have to bring a sacrifice like the other priests have to? And, and the... In the Levitical and the old law, a priest, the high priest, had to bring two sacrifices: one for himself, and one for everybody else. Why? Why, why didn't Jesus have to do this? Because he was perfect. Very good. Very good. That uh, ding ding. Very good. He was he was perfect. He did not have no spot, no blemish uh, from the time he was um, brought into this world. Because he is being sacrificed. And he is being sacrificed. He's he is the, being uh, sacrificed. Yeah. Not, you know, you said they have to bring a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the sacrifice. The. 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 Well, he was, the. But, but he also didn't have to give a sacrifice for himself like the other priests. Because he was perfect. Yes. Yes, he was the sacrifice. I see what you're saying. He was the Lamb of God. Uh, carrying that further. He was the Lamb of God, which without spot 
and without blemish, he was that. He didn't have to bring one for the sinners, and he because he was the lamb, and he didn't have to bring one for himself because he was perfect. He 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 was a, he didn't need need one for himself. He was the lamb, so he didn't need to bring the lamb. I like the point. You, um, any questions? Smart remarks? Comments? I was just going to say when you were talking about before we did the question about living your better life well, you know how people now they're like I'm living my best life it makes me cringe when they say that so if somebody says that you'd be like well I'm living my better life. The best is yet to come. I like it. I'm living my better life. My better life now. Well, what happens if the rug gets pulled out from under you? What happens when you... I, I think I, I think of uh, David and Sierra. And I keep... Uh, um, matter of fact, Nick knows them per, you know, closer. And he's he, he's able to give me a little bit of updates on them. Said that their countenance and their um, positive attitude is just unbelievable. With all that they're going through, and the the um, and um, the let it be that when we have to suffer through the, the trials that we can still say I'm living my better life now and my best and the best is yet to come especially when the, when the especially when the better when when you when the Lord is opening up your eyes to to depend the dependence upon him even a greater dependence upon him and so it's very good um, but I like that I'm living my better life now. That I. When people say that, it just makes me think. Okay, they're not thinking of going forward into the glory of God. They're just thinking about you know, eat, drink, and be merry now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there is no hope. There is no future beyond life on earth. I know they some don't mean it that way, but that's just what I yeah. think of. There's no. And sometimes knowing that now, and you're living your better life now, you're you're getting to the feel where Peter says to sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that's found in you. And that's basically, even though they see you going through things, because it's not. See, right now. I think something, even in prayer, we were were praying about this. Basically, we're living, and we we have, yes, we have our trials. We have our trials with health. We may have our trials with finances. We may have our trials at work. But no one sees those things. I don't see your, you know, except for our personal trials. But there's times when the Lord will take you and, and bring you in to allow that, those trials to come upon you. That's when P- 
people will see that faith and and what's going on. That's when you that's when you be ready to give an answer for the hope. Because they'll ask you, how can how Amanda? How can you going through all that you're going through? How can you handle this? How how why is it that you can have such a positive attitude? And you could say to them, because I'm living my better life now. Wait a minute. Last week you weren't going through this. Last week everything was just fine. How can you say I'm living my better life now? Let me tell you about my Lord Jesus. Because He's with me. And through my suffering, through my trials, He's pulling me closer. Because I'm still looking forward to my best life to come. I'm not so satisfied with this life that I'm, I'm, I stop looking for. You're right, Amanda. Most people are satisfied with their good enough that they're no longer looking for the best that's yet to come. And the best is in Christ. Yeah. Good application. Ready? You got anything? All right. You are dismissed. Thank you for feeding us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for something. Oh, we got that paper.